Traveling the Vortex We've joined the Doctor as he travels the Vortex. I've got my maracas and sombrero on for episode 552. I'm Keith. I'm Sean. I'm Glenn. How's it going? Pretty good. How are I'm you? Cu- I'm curious if you have maracas or maracas. <laughs> <laughs> maracas. Oh, darn. <laughs> I was going to shake my maracas. They don't work. <laughs> <laughs> so, something else is offline. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Did you guys do anything this last uh, week? Oh, what didn't I do this last week? <laughs> Another very, very, very busy week. Um, we did introduce Shy to Indiana Jones. Oh, nice. And um, so we started with Raiders, as you do. And um, she was mostly cool with it. And then I kind of warned her when we got to the one scene in the Well of the Souls. It was like, okay, this might be a little scary. There's going to be some skeletons. And she jumped and freaked out and everything. But I think that was more because I warned her. If I hadn't said anything, she probably would have just taken it in stride and moved on. She was fine with all of that when the German mechanic gets propellered and the blood spray goes over the, the, the plane's uh, tail. She was like, okay, I think I'm done. <laughs> and she was like, uh-huh. really? That? Okay. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm not, you know, not judging, but just that? Of all the, not, not this, not the snakes, not the, okay, whatever. So we were really kind of stressing about, well, do we even bother with Temple of Doom? Because, no, <laughs> you know, Temple of Doom, PG thirteen, beating hearts on fire, and I'm just like, ah, yeah. So I'd like to talk- know. I'd have liked to know if you'd gotten to the Raider, into the Raiders if it, if uh, she'd have handled the face melting all right. Well, and, and when Mel and I got to that scene, it was there was a part of my brain going, well, maybe it's a good thing she went to bed early. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, parent of the year award here. Um, <laughs> But so we decided, well, well, we'll we'll try it because Corey mentioned that she and Julian, they watched that all the time when they were kids. Temple is their favorite. And then she goes, you know, to be honest, I don't even know that I've ever finished all of the other ones, but I know I've seen Temple hundreds of times. And so we thought, well, we'll start it and kind of see how it goes. And she loved it. Watched the whole thing. (laughs) Didn't flinch. Didn't. And, Did and you I'm try to warn her, her about anything. I, 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 I didn't warn her. You know, and they're chanting and throbbing and the music, and he reaches in and pulls the guy's heart out. And I'm looking at her and not the movie. And her eyes got a little wide, but no more than usual for any exciting movie mm-hmm. that she sat through. Hmm. And and just 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 rolled with it. Did the whole thing, and then. It ended, and she was like, that was good. We watch the next one? <laughs> okay. So we did Last Crusade the next day, and um, she was mostly okay through that one. She fidgeted a little bit, but then got to the end, and when Donovan grows old and falls apart, we had to watch that four times. <laughs> <laughs> she asked us to back it up and watch it again. And then uh, we watched Crystal Skull the next night. Was she just trying to figure out how they did it? Or <laughs> I don't, I'm, not, I'm not quite sure. It, uh, maybe I have a special effects nut on my hands. I'm mm-hmm, kind of mm-hmm. hoping, you know, f- future uh, future movie maker. 
but uh, we watched uh, Crystal Skull the next night, and she enjoyed that one. I asked her which one her favorite is, and she said Last Crusade, um, but that might be because uh, of the character Elsa. Mm. Not necessarily being Elsa, but, you mm-hmm. know, there's an Elsa. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but now she she just really took the temple. And I, I have a theory now, after talking to Corey and joining about it, it was like, I, I think what it is is Temple of Doom... And I can say this now on the other side of it, because now that I'm older, because growing up and watching these things when they came out, I, I, I appreciated Temple for what it was, but I, I, I never really, it's not my favorite. Mm, yeah. Me too. You know, mm. and if you're asking me, I will watch Raiders all day, every day before I pop in Temple of Doom. I'm not going to complain if Temple's on, but right, it's, right. you know, it's just not nowhere near as good a movie as the first one. But I think with kids, because you have short round as that gateway character mm. to that they can connect with mm-hmm. who's going on the adventure with Indy and the fact that other kids are in trouble mm-hmm. and Indy's going to help them that there's that there's that level of it that works and then there's this you know the thuggy cult is just they're they're bad guys they are just these kind of supernatural generic bad guys and kids can glob onto that just as a concept and go okay bad got it versus Raiders and to a lesser extent Last Crusade, because it's about the Nazis, you almost have to have that historical background to understand why they're bad. And obviously she you know, at seven, she hasn't had that. Mm-hmm. that and so I, I I think that might be the reason for it. So I, I'd be curious for those of you that have younger kids, Keith, um, when you get ready to show <laughs> well, them these movies. Yeah, I, I will be curious to get your report back and find out what happens. <laughs> oh, and then we went out and got and saw uh, Elemental um, mm. yesterday. How's that? Uh, it's really good. I don't quite understand why it's getting uh, the, the the review bombs. It seems mm. like um, I think it's one of Pixar's better ones. Mm. It's sweet and uh, uh, very entertaining, and there's a lot of layers to it that if you started to peel back, you know, there's you know allegories to immigrants and. Um, which may be why it's getting the hate mail. <laughs> it probably is. Yeah. But uh, uh, there's, there, there's just a lot to it, a lot going on. But it's just a, a beautiful story, beautifully told. So mm. I enjoyed it. Uh, Keith, what about you? Uh, not a whole lot. The kids have started soccer. Um, they've had practice last couple of weeks during the week and then had their first games on Saturday. And... They went about how you'd expect a three and a five-year-old soccer games to go, but it was very cute. <laughs> Liam Liam got into it quite a bit near the end. I was pretty impressed. He played almost the whole game, collided with another kid, and got back up and kept playing. Mm. Almost made a goal, but then, you know, one of his teammates decided he needed the ball instead and stole <laughs> it from him. <laughs> Nothing like getting your ball, the ball stolen from your own teammate. Yep, and getting kicked the opposite direction of the goal while oh, doing no. so. <laughs> I swear he was going to get that in there, too, if it wasn't mm, for that. Well, that's too bad. But he, they're both enjoying it quite a bit. Gemma, I don't think quite as much. She a little more timid, not wanting to get in there and really get involved. Of course, it doesn't help that and during the game, a ball jumped up and hit her in the face. Mm. So she sat out the rest of the game crying. So, <laughs> But she went back to practice this week and... You know, while she's timid about it, she's at least still trying. So that's, yeah, that's right. all I can ask for. Yeah. The other thing I did was I finished Endgame, Doctor Who Endgame. It was okay, but it just needed the Doctor to be actually in it. 
What I've, about you, Glenn? Did you have I, a good birthday? You know, I did. I, that's pretty much the, the excitement of my week. Um, I had to work on my birthday, but then uh, we went to, after I got home, the family took me to Wings, etc. for dinner. And then came home and opened presents. Well, present. Uh, the kids and, and Holly got me a um, trimmer for my, our back hedges. A longer, more reachable trimmer that I can actually get more done with. And then uh, hedge, hedge, a cordless hedge trimmer. And then um, nice. uh, then we had uh, angel food cake, and that was pretty much it. Happy belated birthday, by the way. Thank you. Yeah. You both wished me happy birthday on my birthday too so I not on the podcast that's right but now it's official <laughs> <laughs> you are invited on an adventure across all of time and space in a completely random order it's the police box in the junkyard podcast Jump in the TARDIS with your hosts, Eric Goldbranson, Asad Cheshki, and Matthew Kressel. Explore Doctor Who TV stories, audio adventures, and books, both novels and non-fiction. The Police Box in the Junkyard podcast. It's the entire Who-niverse. On Shuffle, the Police Box in the Junkyard podcast is a member of the Direction Point Network and is available about once a month wherever you find your podcasts. You are listening to Traveling the Vortex. We didn't have any news this week. Um, there was something I did, but I was holding on to it because um, that's going to be uh, this week's something new two-minute review. And again, I came unprepared, so let me get my stopwatch ready. Does anybody actually own a stopwatch? Uh, not an actual physical mm, one, no. Not a physical, no. Yeah. I mean, there's one on my phone, there's one on my computer. I just, I, I heard a thing uh, recently where they talked about... Um, the, the invention of the stopwatch was specifically done for uh, horse races. I didn't to be able to, um, you know, get to that specific of a, of, a, of a time on them, and it became popular because then everybody could, you know, track their horses. That's kind of how that whole industry started. Was around the uh, what's the big one? Churchill Downs. Sure, we'll go with that one. Not a horse guy. I don't know if you knew that or not. <laughs> Which, whichever one just happened recently. That's why I heard that story on the radio. It oh, all well. happened recently. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> the Triple Crown, I think, just ended. So that's all three big ones. And that's going to do it for our segment of Trivia Facts that nobody knew you didn't know. I, I was stalling <laughs> so that Glenn could find his stuff. <laughs> okay, I'm good. I'm ready to go. All right. So my something new two-minute review, We're Falling Through Space Celebrating Doctor Who and the Mundane by J. David Reed. Now, um, this came out about the middle of last month, and it's a book that examines the complex concepts of Doctor Who and how they're often relatable to viewers, mostly because they mirror ordinary situations or instances in our own world. And so the first part is about the companions and companionships. Um... Reed uses relationships in the show to illustrate how people need one another in different ways. Uh, the next part is all about family and how those relationships shape us and make us who we are. Uh, the third segment of the book is about our place in the universe. And Reed uses kind of the multiversal ideas uh, presented in the show to examine some what you know might have been scenarios or things that could have happened had something changed in our lives or if we had done something differently and so he relates things like father's day and things like that um in his final section then he tackles issues about home and personal space 
Uh, he examines how the space where the companions and even the doctor um, are or live is a reflection of their own characters. Um, when he uses mundane in the context, he's referring to mundane things in the personal world examined in grand ways and topics and things in the show. And so that's what he means here about mundane. Um, his writing's filled with genuine love of the show. Book's only about 120 or no, 112 pages long. Um, so it's a really quick we read. And I think it would be accessible to Doctor Who fans and even maybe those that aren't as familiar with the series. So I'd completely recommend it. Um, and it's published by 404 Inc. And that is my something new two minute review. Hmm. Sounds like an interesting book. Yeah, I liked it. This is Tim Trelaw. This is David J. Howe. I'm Peter Purvis. I am Sadie Miller. This is Lauren Cornelius. Larry, it's Fraser. For all things in the Doctor Who collecting world and beyond, the Doctor Who Collectors Podcast. I'm Larry Van Mersberg and your host, and I've been collecting for 42 years. You're listening to Traveling the Vortex on the Direction Point Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Rupert Booth. I am known as Paul Ferry. And my name is Barry Williams. Together, we host Time Ram. Time Ram's a cruel mistress. It's a random number generator. That also. We roll a number from 1 to 13, and that's our doctor. Then 1 to 300 for the story, and then we ram them together. Even if it doesn't make sense. Cruel, I tell you. Time Ram. Putting the wrong doctors in the wrong stories, so you don't have to. You're listening to Traveling the Vortex. All right, well, I think we're ready for our reviews. Um, so we are delving back into the comic book adventures. Um, sort of, We've been sort of quasi-tying into the 60th anniversary with Iron Legion and City of the Damned. And part of that is those don't really connect so much as that they lead linearly into a story that does, which is uh, the Star Beast. But before we get to the Star Beast, there was a short little uh, comic story called Time Slip that we're going to fit in here as well, because it happens just uh, linearly in the in the magazine. It was printed just before Star Beast. So it doesn't connect in any way other than chronologically. That's where it was released. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. And then we're going to get into the big discussion about the Star Beast, which is actually uh, features Beep the Meep, who will be coming up in the 60th anniversary um, specials. Keith, do you have a... probably don't have a synopsis for Time Slip at all, right? I don't. There's a summary, but not a synopsis, yeah. which pretty much just, you know, that's not the same. Well, who wants to go first on this one? I liked it. <laughs> I thought it was pretty good, too. Um, What's interesting is I read it about the same week we listened to Once in Future Past Lives. Mm -hmm. So the premise was very familiar. That's what I was going to mention, because <laughs> I did the same thing. Because I think you and I sort of went on after we finished See the Damn and read that. And, yeah, we did. Um, then we were like, okay, well, that's, I think, when we suddenly realized, oh, we should add this in since this does take place here. And I did the same thing. I was reading it right around the same time. And so the regression uh, concept that's in Once and <laughs> Once, uh, Once in Future is also 
kind of explored a little bit in this one, which I thought the same thing. I thought, wow, what the serendipity of this. Yeah, considering this was published how long ago? Yeah. <laughs> Although this one, this instead of going from presumably eight back to four, this one goes from four back to one. So Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, I thought your first mention would be, hey, canines are here. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, there's always that. <laughs> Not a lot of canine, <laughs> but canine's here. So. He gets treated a little better in this than he does in Star Beast. Yeah, that's that. certainly true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> More on that later. <laughs> right, yeah. right. I will say that um, it was an enjoyable little strip, and uh, suddenly the conversation that you two had made a lot more sense on this side of it. Oh. (laughs) Having now read it. Right. right. (laughs) (laughs) It's just more than anything, like just a little interlude that puts some peril, but... It's just fun. It, it, that's well, and I really just appreciated it. the art too. That they yeah. that one particular photo of Hartnell reaching across the the console to do the switch flip. That they turned that into a panel. I was like, oh, that's cool. Well, I, I didn't check this out either. Um, did um, Gibbons probably didn't do the art for this one, right? Because it's it's remarkably different. He did not. Okay, so. Um, that was the one thing that I noticed is that it's, I don't, I wouldn't say it's a jarring change because the artwork is equally as nice as Gibbons, but you can tell it's two different art styles. And I think the doctors in this almost have more of a photo resemblance than what Gibbons gives a a more caricature, um, look in the stories that he's, um, or, uh, 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 drawn. I suspect it was done at a um, probably a time saver that because Gibbons was, you know, kind of the main artist for the run at the time, knowing that he was handling these bigger arcs that they would occasionally assign little one offs to, you know, this guy or that guy or or whatever, um, so that they still had something they could print while Gibbons was working on the next big chunk of stuff. That's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. As it, especially since it is only a two-issue little quick arc. Yeah, it's, it's real quick. <laughs> <laughs> well, not much more to say about this one, so let's move into the meat of our reviews, which is that of the Star Beast. We're going to review the comic first, and then we also listen to the Big Finish um, audio adaptation, uh, Doctor Who and the Star Beast. And we're going to kind of compare and contrast those as we go. I don't know that we need to take them separately unless you guys feel that's necessary. Because I think there are a lot of parallels, but then there are, as they did with Iron Legion, sometimes they take a few liberties. um, Mostly to make it work in audio, but also I think to sort of make it work, to to balance it a little better with, um, I don't want to say like modern... um, sensibilities but maybe just to balance it a little more uh with with what maybe we're more familiar with with an audio um does that make sense yeah i think they also do some of that to make it stretch to the length they need it oh that's yeah that's true too yeah although it doesn't seem it doesn't seem like they have to cram a lot in uh no they really to do it they just have to give it a little extra weight to it a little, yeah. little more breathing room right. more than anything right 
Well, the scenes a... with the uh, um, factory workers uh, complaining that they just wanted to go back to work. Those were expanded out a little bit. Um, a little bit more of uh, Fudge and Sarah going to school. Stuff like that. But, I mean, again, it's just it's uh, scene setting. So, mm-hmm. yeah, things yeah. that you yeah. wouldn't necessarily feel the need to draw in a comic panel. Did uh, uh, Beep the Meep sort of become a known entity, I think, even on the fringe of Doctor Who fandom? I think anybody in fandom maybe has an idea of Beep the Meep. I think anybody in fandom maybe even knows the nature of Beep. But did you guys know that he was going to be this, you know, uh, malicious bad guy when you guys when we before we went to this story did you, were you guys aware of that from just kind of peripherally knowing about beep I did not I saw it televised as I was listening to it because I wound up listening to this before I read it mm. um, but I did not know going into it I suspected um, mainly because having flipped through the Dave Gibbons collection many times uh, mm. But having not actually read it, there's yeah. a, uh, you know, that great panel when Meep pulls the gun, the gun from a hidden yeah. pocket and is screaming, Meep, Meep, and blasting things. Right. So <laughs> I kind of knew he was going to wind up being a bad guy, but uh, <laughs> it didn't change my enjoyment of the story at right, all. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I think I read somewhere that, um, oh, uh, what's the gal's name? Uh keep wanting to say alice but that's not right um sharon Sharon, thank you i did read that um this would technically be the first black companion to the doctor in any media and Mm. she has that distinction and this would have been way back in what 1980 i think is when this was printed well maybe yeah i think it was 80 back in 1980 Certainly the late 70s. Well, so Iron Region was 79. So this probably was uh, 80. 80 had probably rolled around by this time. Because I think it was like February or something of 1980. Um, so yeah, she gets that uh, distinction of, in, in any media, being the uh, first black companion uh, to travel with the Doctor. And I say travel with the Doctor because in this one, she does in they do end the story with her, uh, <laughs> re- the audio, recounting to Fudge her adventures sort of retroactively um although future for <laughs> to him she's already they already happened for her because she's leave mm-hmm. she's left this note not long after i believe she's taken off with the doctor but i i think that was interesting or a, a neat homage that they did that because in the comics she actually travels with the doctor for a while she becomes a companion um in fact the next story that follows this uh dogs of doom or dogs of war i can't remember what it's called dogs of doom i think is what it's called um actually features her as well so and then beyond that i think she even stays with the doctor for a few more stories while in the comics so i thought that was kind of cool that they while they couldn't just you know i i think it was better than just having her get in the tardis and take off with him i think by having her send the letter and kind of show that she's been having further adventures kind of signifies more that she traveled with him rather than leaving it ambiguous that he goes she goes off in the TARDIS I think the other thing that the audio does and probably rightfully so is 
then the comic i don't remember this i don't think she's aged by the black uh sun energy yeah there's no reference to that at all but she is in the in the um uh audio and i think that's good because it does uh transition us from that awkwardness of she's a schoolgirl running off with a, an older man she has essentially aged i mean it's kind of fudging it a little bit but she's essentially aged enough that you know she's not going to fit in here so it makes sense for her to go with a doctor i think that kind of gets around the whole idea that she you know he's running off with a 16 or 17 year old or even younger i'm not sure what age they're supposed to be in the in the story yeah looking at the comic they look like they should be quite a bit younger than they seem to be at least younger than they sound although looking at the Act, the pictures of the actor who plays Fudge. He looks pretty young. Well, didn't not in the, teenager or not like preteen, but young. Right, right. I, I say, didn't the uh, then in the audio wasn't there a drop line about oh they'll listen to anything a sophomore tells them? Maybe, but I but they wouldn't have used sophomore because they don't. What? what yeah, it was yeah, whatever the. Yeah, they don't have those levels. Uh, she he she makes the comment that. She she's still gonna have to take her O levels now. I get mm-hmm. this is in the this is in the audio, and again they I think they I think the age there's an age difference in the audio. I think maybe they were portrayed to be younger in the print version, but I think maybe yeah, they were yeah. portrayed to be a little older, maybe what we would consider high school age. Um, but I think that she says something in the to the effect of that she'll still have to come back and take her O levels, and I think your O levels are usually your you know last your 12th year of school your 11th or 12th year of school so i I figure presumably she's close to that if she's making comment uh of that Um, like your sats yeah exactly your yeah your o levels are kind of i think your you do those before you graduate so they're almost like senior finals would probably is the more equivalent Mm -hmm. and i think o levels sort of determine at least used to determine for them um maybe what profession they might go in because i think you take oh i may be speaking out of turn here but they are out of out of yeah out of turn here but i think that your o levels also can determine you might specialize in a certain thing so it might also help you determine where you're going to go on later in life whether you're going to do uh you know more of a, a technical trade or whether you're going to go on and do university so i think that also plays into it so it's a little different than it is here but not too much anyway i'm getting off track for <laughs> this story <laughs> um the uh Warith warriors i in the prince story they're very much just straightforward misunderstood not even misunderstood misrepresented aliens until you find out who they are and that they're sort of the the, the good guys sort of they're this police force trying to bring beep in and it's it's just very straightforward there's not a lot of comedy there and i think that was something that i enjoyed about the audio is that it gives them a little more personality and it almost gives them a little lighter edge and so you don't take them as serious in the audio but i think it really works for the audio especially since you've got more characters with lines and part of that being because that gives you 
a better uh, uh, visualization audibly in order to or audibly to let you know what's going on and, and give you a flesh out the story a little more in audio. And so I really appreciated that they kind of took a lighter tone to those characters, especially once we once we learn who they are uh, or it's revealed who they are. I think that 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 works better in the audio. Yeah, I can buy it, that. it does. But it also makes the beginning introduction seem more, while they're comical and a bit idiotic initially, the fact that they still implanted bomb in his stomach <laughs> <laughs> seems like such a well, drastic to be, shift between characterizations. That's true. But to be fair, they think he's an accomplice. accomplice. Oh, yeah. And I don't, I think they're more of a Judge Dredd. I think that they they're maybe less than Judge Dredd, but they're more of a Judge Dredd where they might also be um, judge, jury, and executor. But then I suppose that contradicts it because at the end the doctor does in both cases ask that beep be, or at least uh, implore that beep be um, tried, uh, given a fair hearing. So well, and they do they do make it clear that he is intended to be captured dead or alive. Yeah. Right. And so they obviously don't care about, you know, side effects or, you know, collateral damage as it were. And, and, and not so much. Yeah. And, and so much more (laughs) or so much less in the uh, end than in the beginning. So yeah, it does kind of change the characterization as you were saying. Yeah. It doesn't keep it consistent anyway. Um, the ant, but I can't fault the audio for that either because it's kind of that way in the comic. Yeah. All right. I, I said the ant, the mum, the the gal that Fudge is with for some reason, and I went back and looked, and and I think it she's portrayed as his mom as well. But for some reason, when I got to the audio and they were saying it was his mom, I was like, no, it wasn't his mom. He was living with the ant or something. And I think maybe what I did is I remembered them talking about her being a foster child and she was living oh. with somebody else. So I think maybe I had surplanted that in my head that he was living with an, a relative. And so it threw me off, but, but it was the mom. I keep, I'm still dropping back and saying aunt just on, on accident. Cause that was my first impression. But that being said, the gal that plays uh, the mom, Mrs. Higgins, is it Mrs. Higgins? Yeah. In this, I think it is terrific. <laughs> she's, she's really kind of that, <laughs> that quirky mom that, that is, Not quite to the, you know, the, the screamy, scared, you know, gonna, uh, you know, take it. She's almost a, she's almost a Jackie to a point. She's not so much obnoxious yeah. like Jackie is, but she's not going to take crap from anybody. You know? even, she just kind of rolls with it. Right. And she, it's just, you know, even if it's aliens, it's, and it's, it's, it's not going to set her back. She's still on her, on her way. Um, I imagine there was a slice of familiarity there, uh, for, for all of us, um, when, you know, he comes home and meeps out of the closet and mom's there. And it's this, oh, God, how much trouble am I in? And instead, it's just running a freaking petting zoo, am yeah. I? And I suppose <laughs> we're going to go and do this. And you just kind of get the vibe that as as the story goes on, you get more stuff with her that Fudge probably puts her through a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Being a sci-fi fan. Or a sky fi fan, as they yeah. they said. Um, she, she probably is used to weird things coming home, um, whether it be from the model shop or the comic book store or the, <laughs> but mom, I really need this toy. Okay. And, <laughs> and she just kind of goes with it. So, 
Well, considering he's called Fudge, I mean, <laughs> that should give you enough indication. Right. And then there's that. Right. <laughs> So are we going to talk about the meep in the room? What's that? Meep. Let's talk about the meep. Oh, <laughs> well, I, I, meep almost is a one-dimensional character, and by that I mean, and maybe it's because I knew that meep was going to was this malice thing pretending to be this timid space creature, but meep is this pretending to be a timid space creature that really is the bad guy of the story. And there's not much more to it. Even though they try to they, they fill us in on the backstory of the Meeps and what happened to them and them absorbing the radiation from the black sun that kind of turns them evil, which I don't know how it works, but okay. Um turns their entire race. It also evil. allows them to hypnotize people. Right, so right. And after they've harnessed it. Well and and that's not touched on in the comic as much. I mean, it is. They they are obviously under his control, but it's not. It's almost. In fact, I was kind of glad that the audio conveyed it more that it was the black sun energy that or black mm-hmm. star energy that was allowing him to be able to control them. So that that worked better as well. But yeah, so we get sort of this backstory on Beep, but Beep's just really this tyrannical thing, you know, and you almost. Almost to the point where you gave the backstory so that I'm supposed to have some sympathy because there's this race of, of meeps that get corrupted and I should feel bad for him. On the other side, there it gives me no reason to feel bad for him because completely this whole time he's trying to manipulate both of these kids. He turns around, tries to manipulate the doctor, and he's trying to manipulate the Warth, uh, Warth, um warriors as they're hauling him off at the end. So, eh, I mean... It's an interesting character just from visualization and style, but overall, the dichotomy the, of yeah, something so cute being so evil, right? But the character's really kind of just one dimensional. <laughs> yeah, when Sharon, you know, who has been the Meep's advocate so much, mm-hmm. at the end screams, "I hate you! You're horrible!" <laughs> it's kind of like, oh yeah, it's a bad character, <laughs> right, not right. a not a good guy. He has no redeeming factors to him whatsoever, even with the backstory they try to put into place. I think there's an attempt to make Beep more lovable rogue kind of malice versus evil Dalek kind of malice. I think they um, attempt that, yes. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's certainly there. I mean... he's like a cat. You know, anybody who owns cats will tell you, oh, yes, if given the opportunity, they would kill us. (laughs) That's just what cats do. Um, And apparently there has been quite an extensive amount of of, of scientific study in that because of their relation to the big cats, that house cats are really not all that different in temperament. And that... The, the, you know, just just like a, a lion or a cougar, if given the opportunity, they would pounce on you and eat your face. But all we do is pick them up and coddle them, and they really can't stand that because we're so much bigger than they are. <laughs> and that's kind of what Beep is. He, he's this cute, fuzzy, big-eared, big-eyed. He, he, he's cute, and he looks very cuddly, and he can't stand having his ears touched. At least 
Probably not, because was it just me, or did every time she scratched behind his ears, he let out this cooing noise? Mm. <laughs> and I couldn't determine whether or not he was doing that to keep up the act, or if it was like a, an auto-response that he couldn't quite stop himself from doing <laughs> it. Maybe. <laughs> um, but e- even when he's, you know, even when he's screaming, I'm going to kill all of you, and it's this high squeaky, you know... And was it just me, or did he become French as the audio went on? Uh, maybe it, it, it certainly, <laughs> it, it certainly to me sounded like he was developing a bit of re, uh, a Monty Python esque ridiculous French accent hmm. as as he continued to yell and scream at people, which made it all the funnier, <laughs> honestly, uh, because now, it's, you know, I am Pierre. I release the ducks from Crystal Pond. <laughs> I mean, it was to that level of pantomime, and, <laughs> um, and and just just funny to me. Oh no! No, I didn't. I didn't really get. Are you back with us, Keith? I'm back now. I didn't. Okay. Uh, I didn't really get that. Um, but maybe if I went back and listened closer, I might have. I didn't think it. I don't think the the actor or actress, I suppose. Um, strayed uh much from that i mean there's obviously a difference between the cute cuddly me that's trying to get sympathy and the mean gruff malice of of a meep that we get as well but i didn't i didn't necessarily notice that um one of the things i found interesting and, and sean is the David Gibbons' collection, the one... Is it a reprint of the IDW reprints of the comics? Or do you know? I'm asking because... Until I read this, I had always visualized the iconic picture of Meep with the gun. And it's got a yellow background and Meep is completely white. But in this one, IDW, the one at least... Uh, Keith and I read because we read the individual comics the coloration is almost a muted blue almost a cross mm-hmm. between a gray and a blue and so I thought okay so when the comics obviously when the comics were printed in Doctor Who magazine they were black and white the original comics were black and white and so I thought okay so when they reprinted them for the Marvel release in the 80s that we got, I think maybe on newsstands in the UK, but we definitely got newsstands here in the US, that must have been the colorization for those. He must be white in those. And so I went and looked and found some of those and realized that he's even more blue in those. He's he, they, they realized him as a blue creature. And all of the Meeps in this In this IDW thing, he changes issue to issue. Well... The it, first one, he's super dark blue. Yeah. And the next one, he's really light, almost gray. Right, yeah. It's but, really but, inconsistent. But you're right, but it's still tones of that. But yes, you're, you're absolutely right. It does change frequently in that. So then I got to digging around, and I found the classic comics that was reprinted in the UK... In the 90s, I think it was, where they were reprinting a lot of the, I think they had like 26 issues of uh, Doctor Who Classic Comics. And they were reprinting things from everything from TV action to the Daleks installations to the um, uh, ones at the Pertwee, and I can't remember what the name of those were. Anyway, all of these old comics and some of them from Doctor Who magazine. Anyway, in that one is where I found the picture 
that is, I think, most associated with Beep, and they chose to make Beep white in that. So now we have seen the previews for the Star Beast episode that's coming up, and they've chosen to go with the white meat. So I'm wondering if Russell T. Davis is remembering meat from the comics, <laughs> classic comic reprints, <laughs> as opposed to the original prints, or maybe just because the original original in Doctor Who magazine were black and white and Meep was not shaded, must of course then been white. <laughs> so I just, I thought it was kind of crazy that I, I, I went from this uh, image of white Meep, a, a snowy white looking Meep, to reading a comic where he's various shades of blue and gray, and then going back and, and finding that there's another interpretation where he's just dark blue. I, I say dark blue, it's like dark, dark blue, like midnight blue or, you know, midnight blue or anything like that. But he's blue. He's much bluer than he is in the IDW. He's, you know, comic blue. Comic blue. Yeah, yeah. you know. You know Superman suit <laughs> Looks blue. like Beast. Yeah, Beast. Yeah. He's Beast yeah. blue. Absolutely. Beast blue. <laughs> um, uh, to finding the actual white um, colorization that I found, that I, I remember from all the years of seeing uh, this picture of Beep holding the gun. So anyway, well, what's in, what's what's also interesting is you know jumping ahead a few weeks. I've not read it yet, but just clicking into those Wikipedia link on Starbeast Two, mm-hmm. the thumbnail has a white Beep. Oh, okay, all right. I don't know if that. I'm assuming that's supposed to be Beep. I don't know. Yeah, but he's white there, so maybe well, that's I, where he's pointing. I, I from, hope it's Beep also because... from the continuation i hope it's beat because i put that in our um adversary archive episode we're gonna do it in a few weeks so. <laughs> all right so the the dave gibbons collection here which is released by idw mm-hmm. um makes the comment that uh oversized edition collects all of them for the first time and in full color so i don't know if they were colored specifically for this collection what's the, and uh, then what's the published date on that the original published date. Uh, bu- 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 let me look that up. Because so, I'm wondering maybe if they printed that collection and then reprinted what they had done for that collection in the individual comics. So I think the individual comics came out in 2000... I want to say 2007? 2008? October 2011, first printing. Mm, okay, so I believe that the run of comics was 2008. Yeah, so they must have done it for the comics first and then put those collected together. I think the first time in color is probably... I think we're reading first time in color. I think we're reading into that. I think they're saying first time collected and comma in color. Or comma and and in color. color. Yeah. Now, I will also say that there's a bit of artistic license going on because in all of the shots throughout this the story in the Gibbons collection, uh, Beep is blue. He, 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 is, he, he is Beast Blue through all of it. Now, depending on the situation, that blue does change hue. Yeah. And in particular, the, the classic shot of him firing the blaster, I think it's because he, he's almost kind of a... a a light purple in some ways, but I think it's because I I think it's because the blaster is red. Mm, Okay. And so they've just, Mm. you know, illuminated him. That makes sense. Okay. That's a good argument. Well, I must say, but I have, I haven't got to the white one in the, in the next story. So I'm going to say for Canon's sake, he's white. Now. Okay. So you mentioned that, uh, Russell's going with a white one. 
I'm having a real um, Mandela effect here because I could have sworn he was blue in the trailer. You're saying he's white? <laughs> he's white. Well, I mean, he's he's kind of a because I, I I literally remember him as blue from the trailer. Yeah, he's not he's definitely. I was not just blue. about to pull the trailer no, up and watch it and de- go, really? Not blue. Um, no, he's definitely white. And I, he's a he's kind of a dirty white. He's not a bright white like he is in in some of the um, illustrations of him, but. If anything, so since we're on it, it's blue with we... some gray. <laughs> I assume now, after reading this, that what we're going to get a beep is going to be a retelling of this aspect of the story. What do you do? You guys have thoughts on what he might try to do with beep in the sixtieth? I, after reading this, I sort of wondered the same thing, but the more that I sat on it, I'm wondering if it's going to be more of a soft reboot of the character and the doctor will have, will know that he's encountered Meep before. And so I'm wondering if it's, I mean, they could totally do a, family of blood thing which if you really do some mental gymnastics both they they both are considered canon and both could consider be considered having had happened in the doctor's lives so they may go around of that but the more i think about it i'm with you originally when i read when i yeah when i read this i kind of thought i wonder if they're going to take pages out of this comic for the for the the, that particular special but the more i think about it i think they may use a lot of influence from the story but i think maybe they will have the 14th doctor recognize meep as someone he has encountered in the past i don't know i mean it doesn't make sense for the warth uh warriors to be after him again so i suppose in that (laughs) way and you're probably right maybe they are just going to this is a first encounter thing in the, in the or maybe the warrior, maybe he tells the story in a flashback of that first. Well, that could encounter. be too, because we we're just seeing glimpses of things. I will say, uh, I just pulled the trailer up, and in the ET segment where Donna pokes him in the eye, mm-hmm. he's white. Uh, he 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 is definitely white. Um, <laughs> in my defense. There's a blue fuzzy thing in front of there him. There is, yeah. No, you're right. I, <laughs> now that you say that, I completely remember that. Yeah, because he's kind of in. It's like the ETC, and he's kind of in a bunch of stuffed animals, or mm-hmm. or at least other plush around him. I don't know, Keith. I I, I, I suppose in a few months we'll know. But you might be right. They might be pulling a lot of the story from this and just um, portraying this as a first encounter. Because it makes me wonder, you know, yeah, there's the fans out there, but the, you got to imagine the wider populace has no idea who Beep the Meep is. Well, uh, yeah, but I think... And that... the fact that they've never even really addressed the fact that, you know, they've not had any sort of song and dance about the fact that Beep is back. You know, they've, they've not said his name directly. Well... No, but I think they're being coy by showing clips of the, him and the Warith robot robots, <laughs> Warith warriors, and the titling at the Star Beast, which yeah, also yeah. is problematic, I think, in a way. But 
I think that's the other part of it. I think they're being coy though. And there, there is in that scene in the closet, there is a black actress in the scene behind Donna. Well, that's, that's Rose. That, that'll be the, um, Oh, is that Rose? Okay. I think that's Donna's, uh, because she's stepsister. Cause I think I I haven't read that much into it. I don't know. Donna's mom has remarried and I believe that's, Donna's mom's new husband's daughter, and that's the Rose that they initially announced would be a companion that we all thought that, um, is it Lily? Is that the, the, the one that's going to be with Shudi Gantua, um, the 15th Doctor? Anyway, we, we kind of crossed thinking that, we got confused. We thought that, that Rose was going to be the 15th oh, Doctor's yeah. uh, companion, but Rose is actually a companion kind of just for these specials, I believe. Gotcha. Uh, and rewatching the mid, the trailer we got, you know, in between the announcement and the most recent one, looking at these clips, of course, my audio is not on, but it certainly looks like Rose is going to be the introduction of Meep, of Beep and the Doctor back in the Donna's lives. So it's all going to kind of, you know, it looks like Rose will almost serve the Sharon's role and Donna could potentially just be an additional complication there somewhere. Right. Well, then Donna's fudge. Um, yeah, <laughs> to, to, to some extent. <laughs> right, right, right. No, you may be right. You may be right. That may be the way they're taking it then. So in that case, it'll be a lot like they did with, I think, well, I think even uh, human nature. And um, what's the second part of that family of blood? Family of blood. Family of blood. I think that that, I mean, they there are a lot of, there are shades of human nature, but there's a lot of similarities. This would probably be the same way. Where there's well, and it's not even the, the first time that's happened because they did it with Jubilee. Right, with and Dalek. And, although Dalek and Jubilee, if you sit down and compare, really sit down and compare there, there are very few similarities in it. it very, it's really similar in spirit, different. and that's all. <laughs> but, yes, you're right. Um, Jubilee is what inspired that. And if, and if you want to be pedantic about it. Uh, Victory of the Daleks is Power of the Daleks. Um, that Mark, that was Mark Gannis's love letter to Power because there had Power was lost and and we hadn't we didn't even have the reconstruction or the animation at the time, and so he basically rewrote Power as Victory. So it's yeah, it's certainly they've uh, there's been precedent set already. So and what's interesting that this is the first time they've done it with a comic. Yeah, that's true. Although not mm. the first time that a comic character has been included in a television episode of Doctor Who, because we did get. I was Absal- trying to remember. We got Absalom Dak in oh, the yes, time yes. heist. Uh, well, that was more of a well, it's just wink a, and a well, yeah. But I'm just saying it was. It's not the else. first time that a comic character has been at least acknowledged in the television series. Yeah, yeah. I reading this makes me a lot more excited to see what they do with Starbeast, because even if it does end up being just a adaptation for television, I still think it'll be a lot of fun. And I, I think that there's a lot you can do with this guy. I, you know, I'm, I'm going back to, I, I, it is a very two dimensional character or one dimensional character, but I think you can have a lot of fun with that in a, whatever, 45 to an hour, uh, television show i think you can have a lot of fun with that especially since it they're very very visually caricatures i mean the the even the shots of the war uh warriors that we get in the tv 
clips look amazing. I mean, they just, it's, it's, these are things that we haven't seen in Doctor Who on television before. And so I'm really excited to see those visualizations as, as they play out. Well, and I, th- I think it makes a lot of sense that if they are going to ad- adapt the story, that because it's a comic story as opposed to a novel, there's not quite as much of a story there to adapt unless you're, you know, doing something faithful, which Big Finish has already done. So why right. do that again? Yeah. And having Donna there with the additional baggage of Donna being back with David Tennant as the doctor, it makes a lot of sense to do a, a abbreviated adaptation mm-hmm. of that story because it is simple enough and a good enough story that it would be justified doing on television, but not quite enough to really stand on its own as an episode. That's true. That's a good point. It's also true that for a, for an anniversary episode for the general public that does not know who beep the meep is, they're just getting Hey, Doctor Who's back, and there's a fuzzy ET thing. For the fans that do know, it's giving us that extra fuel to get excited over and speculate on, and be like, "Oh, they brought in Beep the Beep." That's the you know, which, so it's, which it's we're a very targeted doing. move, <laughs> yeah, right? I mean, doing, we're yes. we're doing a whole thing on that now. <laughs> I mean, ex- prime example. Yeah. And for the record, we did uh, a discussion of human nature, the book versus the episode in uh, uh, our episode 190. And we did Jubilee and Dalek all the way back in 178. All right. So for those of you who were interested. I will, I will, I I think I'm... I'm 99% in agreement with you guys about this again, about them taking this as a fresh start and just adapting or utilizing an already established storyline. But to argue for the fact that it could be a continuation of a character and still work for the average viewer. When most viewers went into the first episode of the new series back in 2005, we had Autons in the Nesting Consciousness without having to even acknowledge anything that had happened in the past. And they did a really good job of familiarizing new viewers of what they were. So they didn't have to go into this whole past backstory. But again, it goes along the same lines of those of us that were in the know went, ooh, and for those of you know that didn't, it was still enough evidence there to allow them to understand what was going on there as well. So I think it, it can be done. I think it has been done. We've had the Zygons come back. We've had a lot of different Doctor Who villains uh, and monsters come back without having to say, with just a throwaway line that the Doctor knows who these are and he's encountered them before. So I think that they could do this in this instance, but I'm kind of leaning towards what you guys were saying also about. Which, let's be honest, I mean, the Doctor says, oh yeah, I know about these guys, even when he doesn't. Yeah, that's true, <laughs> right. Know? Even when they introduce I mean, brand new characters. Them <laughs> yeah, in six years of TV, them. they're brand right. new. He's going to go, oh, I've dealt with them before. Okay. That's a good point. <laughs> I'm I'm really torn. I'm glad to be talking with you guys about Beep the Meep now that we've read the story because my first instinct was to go to talk to Mel and say, okay, so there's this thing and he turns out. But then I thought, well, if this episode is Mm. a retelling, I don't want to spoil that for you. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. 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 
you know, so. But how many people, maybe that's why, you know, Keith, you said there hasn't been a lot of fanfare about it. And maybe that they're, maybe they are keeping it sort of on the, oh, let's let the, the uh, longtime fans uh, fanboy over this and get excited and let them have their piece. But we're not going to do much about saying this is a past character or this is because what's the first thing somebody might do is they might go back and look at the source material and oh, then yeah. they have spoiled it for themselves. So I don't know. I mean, maybe that might be why there's not been a lot of fanfare. I mean, it would be the equivalent of, you know, going into the new Marvel movie going, well, I read this issue. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little different because those worlds don't necessarily cross over, but yes, you're, you're right. And this technically was a Marvel story. Even even when it was in Doctor Who magazine, it was still being, that was yes, being printed by Marvel. Stanley so, Presents. Yeah. Stanley Presents. Well, yeah, I just was long. reading this, and it's been a long time coming, because uh, I, I had... I just have grazed through Beep's story and never really delved in and, and read this story in, 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 in a whole. So I was really glad to, to read it. I, I'm kind of glad that we we're getting a taste of classic uh, Doctor Who history now. And then we're going to see how we tie it into the, uh, the new series. It'll be, be fun to see no matter which way they go with it. I think it'll be fun. Well, and it's one of those that I think it's, it's, it's fairly obvious tonally right from the get go that it's kind of a farce. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. When, when uh, you know, the doctor is looking for his maracas and uh, <laughs> just, the, oh, I'm terribly sorry. I didn't mean to pull your eye and push it or <laughs> twist it or it just, it, well, the twist was maybe a bit much. And so you, you, you just kind of know it's like, all right, well, this is what we're in for. And I actually did them. I started in reverse order. I started listening to the audio first before I picked up the book and then got, a, I don't know, about probably three fourths of the way through the audio and then went and picked up the comic and caught up. And then for a couple of pages, I was actually doing it like a book on record where I was, <laughs> you know, reading along. When you hear the well, beep, turn the page. Dude. But then it, it diverged a little bit enough that I couldn't read and listen right. at the same time. So, kinda, so I had to put it down. And, you put it down and listen a little bit, and then you pick back up. Yeah, it's funny that you did that because we talked about last time when we, we related it to those books on record uh, when we were talking about Iron Legion as well. So Yeah. I really wanted to do that with this one, but it, was, it, 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 it diverged just enough that I was yeah. like, ah, damn it. You know, I can't make it work. It's a long beep. <laughs> yeah. When you hear the meep. <laughs> oh, you know, they'd have done that too. If they ever adapted this. Oh for yeah. They totally yeah. said, when you hear the meep. And then he would have went meep. And that's when you turn the page. Um, I think that I got this a uh, little bit of this from the wiki, but I thought it was interesting enough. And, and people in the UK, at least old enough, to remember or know her and maybe even young people know her. Uh, I thought this was kind of an interesting thing. The newsreader in the comic is modeled after the, the news gal. She's modeled after the contemporary newsreader, Angela Ripon and Ripon herself um, is the one who plays the newsreader in the audio adaptation. So Ripon was a, oh, a, nice. a real life presenter on radio and television in southwest england before moving to the bbc one for the nine o'clock news and she was a regular she became a regular presenter on there from 1975 so she would have been presenting uh, been a news uh, reader in from in probably in 19 well for sure in 1980 and they modeled that character after her for the comic and then in turn big finish got her to come in and read the newsreader role i think that's kind of a neat little neat little uh, that's connection nice. that's awesome was there anything else on this one we want to 
chat about, discuss? So I uh, I debated whether I wanted to bring it up because as I was listening to the story first and the doctor calls out for canine and he's not there. And I was like, okay, hmm. that does two things. One, it kind of helps me place where the story is taking place within the doctor's timeline. And two, it gives me something to needle Keith about <laughs> because, you know, canine wasn't there. So then I pick up the, 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 the comic and start reading, and Canine's there. Yeah. And he's totally there, and he's playing whatever the game is. And I'm like, oh, man, I bet Keith loves the comic way more than... And it was at that point that Canine <laughs> got his head knocked off. And I was like, oh. Nope, Keith does not love the comic more. <laughs> Maybe I won't bring I, this I kind of find it interesting <laughs> that you guys went audio adaptation before reading the comic and in most instances, Sean, you were kind of doing both, both, but it sounds like the, the audio was forefront in that situation anyway. So it yeah, was a normal. matter of convenience for me. Sure. I honestly say listen to, and my phone wasn't connecting to the internet and that's what was on my phone at the time. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, so. same. Normally I wouldn't do that. And my, my OCD is such that I would have to take whichever medium came first mm-hmm. and do it in that order. Which is the same reason we always review things in doctor order, right. I, I think, just because yeah, we're all yeah. kind of of that same mindset. Yep. But this time it just happened to work out that, well, the audio's here, so I'll go ahead and start it, and I'll get to the book later. <laughs> I'm, that, o- that OCD is what forced me to read the comic before I listened to the audio as well, so I'm right there with you. And I also know it takes longer, you know, to listen to the comic, mm. or listen to the audio, so and it doesn't take me longer to read the comic at all. Yeah. Real quick. Um, we're talking about K-9. One more little behind the scenes, and I think I got this from the wiki as well, but the, I guess, David Gibbons in the comics drew K-9, and I, I went back and looked, and you can tell, he drew K-9 smaller than K-9 actually is on the on the television series. And the reason he did that is so that the doctor could easily pick him up and carry him under his arm when necessary. Mm. I thought that was kind of an interesting um, little tidbit as well. They shrunk canine. <laughs> now I want to do a whole story where canine gets miniaturized and lost in one of the doctor's pockets. <laughs> you know, you're you're asking when this is placed, and it definitely is after Romana. And the reason I say that is because he says that he would rather battle face the black face the black guardian, the black guardian again yeah. rather mm-hmm. than have a mortgage <laughs> so well, and there was some reference i don't can't remember if it was in the comic or okay. the audio about the randomizer so the mm-hmm. yeah but the comics and of course this also would have been after leela but the comic and i now i can't remember without pulling it up makes a leela reference but i cannot remember what it was so it, it definitely is after leela and after romana so it's it's after he's probably left Romana with the uh, lion people in the e-space. Although that's a slight contradiction since Canine went with Romana. Well, that's true. But we know at some point, this might be the Mark IV. Well, that's just it. This may be the Mark IV that he made for um, uh, Sarah Jane and left with her. Yeah. So he could have had... Although I want to say, was it in Iron Legion... Or was it time slip where he makes a reference? 
I thought he made some sort of reference that Ramon was off doing something yeah. specifically. You're yeah, that was right. in Time Slip. Because Pain Nine was that. in that one too. You're right. But I can't remember what he said she was doing. So I don't I, remember it being off in East. I bet you're right. In fact, I bet at the time that this is running in Doctor Who magazine, and we talked a little bit about this, I think when we talked about Iron Legion, and, and Sean was asking if perhaps, or for why they might have left companions out. But that might be what their explanation was for this time. Was This was probably running congruent to Romana on the show. And they probably had to make mentions like that in order to explain why he was traveling without her. So this probably is taking place uh, around that time that he's traveling with Romana, but Romana's off doing something else when he's having these adventures. Now, uh, forgive me, we're old. I'm old. Um, did we, when we covered Iron Legion, did we cover at what time frame that's set? Or do we just talk about a lack of companions? We we speculated when it was, but I don't know if we landed on a definitive. I think I went to um, the Complete Adventures uh, to see what... Um, and I'm actually trying to go there now and see where he's got because Iron Legion. Just on feel, Iron Legion feels like a Sarah Jane era Fourth Doctor adventure. Whether she's in it or not, it feels like it should slide into the earlier part of his run. Do you think so? I don't know why I feel that way. Okay. I just it, to me it feels that way. But with yeah, canine and the references here. This this definitely yeah. to me feels like it's a later run, and yet there's only that one story in between them, and it's not like it's a long one. So I, I you know, I can't make that work in my head <laughs> unless they're just jumping all over the place. But Keith, were you trying to say this? I feel like it's very much in the vein of uh, City of Death or Shada, yeah. or so I'm I'm with you. I think it's more of a I, Douglas Adams feel, and so I think that's why I solidly place it in that era instead um, and i can make that work yeah curly has it uh squarely between television episodes uh the horns of naimon which would have been the last story no it would be out yeah, between high horns of naimon and the leisure hive and i guess uh naimon would have been the last one of that season leisure hive i think was the first one of the yeah, next leisure season Hive's and the he first. is still with ramana at that time so yeah, this must specifically be... Romana two. Yes, yes, specifically Romana two. Well, and that makes sense because in the comics he also hasn't gone burgundy yet. Oh yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, that's a good point. That's so, kind of why he has to go there. I presume, and he's got a lot of um, non. Well, he's got Shada in here as well. So Shada's actually, if if we're gonna if we're gonna be fair and we count Shada as televised, even though it wasn't, um, it's between Shada and. Uh, leisure hive but there's a he's he has sandwiched in a lot of stories here and presumably a lot of these are probably the um uh comic and um prose stories although there is some big finish stuff in here but i guess so there's some of that romana that when he's with romana too and that as well are, are set between those we we know that's been established i don't think we've listened to him because i think they're it's uh season five that he's traveling again with Ramana or not again, but he's traveling with Ramana. 
So yeah, we, uh, we certainly know that some of those big finish take place in there as well. So that certainly makes the Douglas Adams ness of Iron Legion work as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If it's after Shada. The wiki has a reference um saying that the doctor aside for the big finish, the audio says that the doctor asides suggests that K9 and Ramana are currently attending to business elsewhere. So the big finish didn't want to commit to anything (laughs) (laughs) and makes it almost sound like it's after e-space for the comp for the audio at least that's the way i read well and from their perspective it does make sense because canine is not there also he's he keeps saying canine but he keeps then realizing oh canine's not here so from i think the audio version of it from that perspective that's probably why they were placing it where it was because they weren't about to bring um John Neeson in John for, Neeson in, yeah. <laughs> for like, six lines. You know? <laughs> Although, who who wouldn't give their right arm to hear John Neeson doing K-9 as a cat? That yeah. bit in the comic was pretty phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Agreed. That would be good. I mean, that that's that's worth your price of admission right, right there. Yeah, that's true. that's true. No, no, K-9. Woof, woof. Meow. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm dying. I, I could just hear the doctor's voice doing that too. <laughs> Tom Baker, you know. Um, for the sake of my continuity, I'm going to go with um, the uh, complete guide, and I think this is between Hi- Horns of Nymon and uh, Leisure Hive. And I think when we get to our beep the Meep archive, uh, adversary archive, I think mm, hopefully that will also cement it a little more because I think those stories also take place in this space between those stories so we'll see if they uh mention it in any of the the future beep the meme stuff we do hello fellow time travelers and welcome to the doctor who target book club podcast the only podcast to discuss in story order all the doctor who novelizations my name is tony whip and every two weeks or so, I'm joined by a two- to three-person discussion panel, including our so-called expert who's been a Who fan since 1979. That would be me. We also get the views of intermediate, casual, and novice fans who either have never seen the show or who have never read these books until these podcasts, including... Dalton Hughes. And... Alison Fitzsafried. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you find good podcasts, or even ones like ours. You're listening to Traveling the Vortex, a Direction Point podcast. We do have more fun stuff coming up on the schedule. So, Sean, do you want to take us through the next steps? Well, next up on the schedule is uh, the next installment of Once in Future, The Artist at the End of the Universe. Uh, returning to uh, the big finish, uh, big brouhaha for the 60th anniversary. Uh, we will also be taking a look at uh, some more comics. This time it's the next four parts of Liberation of the Daleks, the ongoing 14th Doctor comic that uh, Doctor Who magazine is putting out. Uh, we'll get uh, some more 60th anniversary uh, tie-in materials on the next go-around with Doomsday, Hour 1, uh, and hour two through five. Oh, yes. Uh, so the first five hours of Doomsday. Yes. Thanks. <laughs> <Could've>... <laughs> My hand link shorted out. I have to slap it and make a 
make a grating noise to get well, all of the words in. And you're doing that right because it, that's sort of divided between two mediums because the first one is uh, our ones from the website, and then ours two through five are going to be the uh, is a set of comics in this month's. In fact, it just came out today, uh, Doctor Who magazine. So we'll be covering those, and uh, then the Beep the Meep uh, adversary archive as we uh, tackle Starbeast 2, along with some various and sundry other materials. So, lots of good stuff on the way. Including an audio venture with the Sixth Doctor in Beep the Meat. Which predates this uh, adaptation as well. But we'll talk about that as well. I just uh, I, I just want RTD to... Uh, you know, stop beating around the bush, man. Where's Frobisher? <laughs> I know, right? I mean, this gives you hope. <laughs> if the success of this, you know, we'll get there. Then. Right, right. I, I, you know, I, I think I read somewhere, and I may be mis- misremembering this, but I think I read somewhere that Dog Bolter, which is the mafia frog guy from some of the Frobisher stuff we've done, mm-hmm. uh, was considered for a story on television. And I want to say in the 12th doctors era, he was presented as an idea and got real, uh, Moffat got really close to approving it. And then they decided not to go with it. So I think it was the 12th doctor era, but so we almost got dog bolter, which would have been a closer connection to Frobisher. (laughs) (laughs) That seems like somebody that river would hang out with. Yeah. Right. Yeah. At, at least have ties with you right know. right at least have ties for her co- own convenience and it wouldn't yes. certainly be because she condones or condemns anything he does but out of sheer convenience for her uh, uh purposes yeah i think she certainly mm, would yeah. hang around with him i mean she hung around with dorian she hung around you know she had connection to those so <laughs> anyway well, you can find us on our website, TorontoTheVortex.com, and get updates there. And if you get any value out of this podcast, please consider putting some value back into it. You can do that by clicking on the Patreon link you can find on the uh, TorontoTheVortex.com uh, website. Um, consider supporting us there when you become a patron. You do unlock more audios and specials that we're putting up there for you, just for you, exclusive. So uh, if you can even just give $1 a month, that completely helps keep the lights on. Also, please consider giving us a five-star review wherever you subscribe to the podcast. It helps bump us up in the ratings and recommendations. And, of course, you can find our listeners forum on Facebook, and you can find us also on Twitter. Anything else we need to talk about before we close? Oh, we're also on TikTok, by the way. Anything else that we want to talk about before we close this program? If not, until next time, I'm Glenn. I'm Sean. I'm Keith. Cheers. Good night, everybody. Be seeing you. Thanks Thanks for listening. listening. Jinx, you owe me a Coke. You have been listening to Traveling the Vortex. Doctor Who and all of its associated programs are owned and trademarked by the BBC. No infringement is intended or implied. Direction point! Direction point! A Doctor Who podcast network.